Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you. And like we said earlier, if it's your first time here, we are glad that you're joining us. If you join us online, thank you for tuning in. We are going to go back in time a little bit. The message today was actually supposed to take place in March. Think back about that for just a second. March. That feels like years ago um, when it comes to 2020. We had to go online and we said, hey, we understand this message. And again, just kind of heads up, there is I've had much more mature conversations in a sermon, but there is a little bit in this one, so we try and give you a heads up on that, and we said, hey, if it's going to be strictly online and we're telling everybody, hey, get your family together, um, there'd be a few things that would come up today from a biological standpoint that you might have to answer, and so we said, hey, let's hold off on that, and now it's July, and we're coming back to this. Um, Last year, I was coaching my son's baseball team, and we had a little bit of an incident one day. Uh, where there was a parent that had said something, and we knew, like, from coach's standpoint, we're like, hey, we have to address this. Um, someone needs to say something to him. Uh, and we kind of got together, and we're like, well, who's going to say this? Because the reason no one jumped at the opportunity was because this particular dad was bigger than three coaches put together. Um, very physically imposing person, and it kind of came down to, it was like, guys, um, I'll do it. In ministry, sometimes you've got to have hard conversations, so I'll, I'll talk to him. You hear me screaming, you get over there, quick. Like, if this goes bad, I need backup quickly. Um, I just need to get loose. I can outrun him, but I've got to get, get away. And had to sit down and have an awkward conversation, and it went really, really well. And I was thankful for that because <laughs> there wasn't any screaming or anything. The reality is sometimes in ministry, like, I, I love what I do. I, I love what God's called me to. Um, and then there are times where there's just a reality of what we're going to go through today. Um, today has the potential to be awkward. I want to say that. Today has the potential to be one of those days where it's like, man, that I, I feel that because of what you're saying. Because the reality is whenever you're preaching and you just preach through Scripture, here's a couple things that happen. And here's a, I want to kind of set this up for us before we go walking into it because I feel like this is one of those things we have to have a little bit of a foundation. And that foundation is going to be grace. Because when you walk through Scripture, what happens is Scripture will show that people are broken. Like the reality is every single person in Scripture outside Christ, you find some sort of fault. The reality is we are broken people. We, we see some of those things in our own lives. Early on in Genesis, you've got Adam and Eve sinning. Throughout the Bible, people like David, who is a man after God's own heart, we find him falling into sin. You look at Peter and how he reacted to certain things. You look at Paul and the life that he lived. Like We realize when we go through Scripture, Scripture will show our brokenness. Now, if it shows our brokenness, here's the next step within it. At some point, Scripture will offend you. That is just how it happens. It's not meant to be a hammer, but Scripture calls itself a sword that pierces down, and it shows there are times where I do not have it all put together. And so at some point, if you read through Scripture, you will find something and go, there's an area where I've got to work on. Scripture is also going to address hard topics. And sometimes we don't like talking about hard topics. Sometimes we would rather not bring that up into normal conversation. You know, just in everyday talk, you don't want to get into a deep, deep debate. Although it's 2020 and social media lets us do that. So we we try and avoid some of that. But sometimes scripture is going to talk about hard topics. It's going to talk about things that are heavy, that carry a lot of weight with it, that carry a lot of consequence, that carry a lot of things that can have ramifications in all areas of your life. And so Scripture addresses hard topics. At the same time, in 2020, I don't know if you've seen this, anything in the world can be divisive, right? 
Like, you just pick whatever it is, and there's some of them we laugh about. There's some of them I can't even bring up because we'll get into a fight in here in the middle of the thing. Like, it's just a divisive time. And if we're not careful, like, we can let our opinions creep in so, so often in some of the most comical areas. Did you ever think we would argue about some of the things we were arguing about this year? Because some of the things are not that bad. Some of the things, they're not that good. But we argue over them, it becomes divisive. And I want to say this, keep fighting against that. Let's, let's not let that destroy the witness that we have been called to have. But there's a lot of things you can look around and go, man, that's divisive. And here's the weird thing. Today, we're going to talk about marriage. Marriage, this institution that God gave to humanity. And if we're not careful, it can be divisive. And I will say this. In studying this week, I learned some things. When it comes to marriage and divorce, those are big, big topics. That's when I said the Bible is willing to talk about hard and heavy things. Uh, what I also realized, I even told our leadership this morning, this is an area I'm not as grounded in as I probably need to be. And what I mean by that is when I really started pouring into some of the context of this and things like that, I went, mm, I need more time. And so I'm not giving you decisive answers on some things today I would ask hey you want to sit down and start talking about stuff you may have not even thought about that's been most of my week but marriage can be divisive marriage can be a thing that pushes obviously we know it can be a tough thing but you let certain opinions start coming out and people's feelings get hurt because that's the other side of this we're going to talk through some things and I know we've got people here today I know we've got people watching that have been through divorce we know that this is one, I, I, there's just not anybody in here who's not been touched by this. And we understand that, man, it's difficult. We understand there's a lot of emotional pain that comes with it. There is so much that comes with it afterwards. And so we're going to try and healthily talk through these areas in grace. And so with that, let me pray for us real quick. And then we're going to dive, we're going to go backwards a little bit and jump into Matthew 5. Spend a little bit of time talking. God, we love you. And God, as we look at hard things like... I, I don't shy away from that you know, because those, those things, they challenge us a little bit. And sometimes, God, we need that. Sometimes we need to, to be pushed a little bit, and that's what your word does. At the same time, God, today I pray that today would be a day filled with grace. God, that there would be resolution, there would be thoughts that might happen today that would, would strengthen this beautiful gift that you've given us. And at the same time, Father, we would, we would look at things and go, hey, I'm, I'm willing to just let Scripture be Scripture. And then try and move my life around that, not the other way. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. We're going to start in verse 27. In Matthew 5, 27, if you're kind of new with us, we've just been walking through what we call the greatest sermon. It's just the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus took a group of people up onto a mountainside one day, and he began to teach, and he began to speak. And some of the stuff that he says, pretty much all the stuff he says, is unbelievably profound. Because in everything, it really kind of deviates from just the, the human nature side of things and goes, hey, let's take this up a step. And so he's looked at what it looks like to be blessed, and he's addressed different issues, and now he's going to even address things like lust and marriage. And so in chapter 5 and verse 27, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. 
Now, there is a good bit to talk through when it comes to these verses, all right? Um, we're going to talk through all of it. When he starts off, he says, you have heard that it was said. Now, we have to kind of go back a little bit because when we first got into the Sermon on the Mount, this was the section where Jesus just repeatedly said this over and over again. Hey, you've heard this said, but I'm going to tell you what it really means. You've heard this said, and you've heard it kind of stretched a little bit into something that it was not, and I'm going to tell you its proper meaning within the law because ultimately, when I do that, I'm going to show you that you need something more than just the law. And so he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, when it came to that, the religious leaders of the day, no one argued that fact. Like no one was saying, yes, you can commit adultery. And what would adultery be? Adultery in this context is any sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage. And so no one argued that that was okay. But it was some of the extent to it. And it was the, okay, where is the heart issue? And you see, this is what Jesus does. He brings the issue and uh, he, he takes it and he says, hey, that area, when it comes to a sexual relationship, is that a good thing? Yes. Yes, it is. And so sometimes people go, okay, well, why, if it's outside the context of marriage, like, what is the issue there? And so here's, here's a little bit of the why. It's taking it out of God's order that he designed. You've heard me say in the English language, we have the word love, and that has to mean everything. You've heard me say you can love tacos, you can love your spouse. Well, I really love tacos, really love my spouse. Well, in Hebrew, they had a few extra words that gave it a little more context to how this thing grows. They had a word called raya. Raya was something that was kind of a friendship. It was a love of someone's just personality. It was a point where you said, hey, I got to know this person, and I know they have some faults, and I'm okay with that because they understand that I have some faults. We've built a friendship of love. This was one that two guys could have, two women could have, because it was this friendship level, and it was more than just I know that person, but you would say, hey, that's a dear friend. I love you. Like, I've got buddies that whenever we finish a conversation, it's like, I love you, man. Uh, and we understand what that means. And we're taking it in that Hebrew word of raya. And so you have that one. And that's where everything starts, right? Like, you're growing up. You meet somebody. Your first thought is, they're cute. And then you start talking to them a little bit. And sometimes you go, and they're crazy. And you walk away. And that's where it ends, right? That's just how that goes. We, most of us have been there. And then there's times where you look and go, cute. You start to talk. Oh, we, we have some common things in, in, in mind. And so we, we, we begin a friendship and that's where it begins. And so that's where Raya comes in. As that grows, you enter into another word called Ahava. Ahava is deeper than friendship. It is a love and a commitment to a person like on a soul level. It's what we would probably closely say love in the English language. And this is where it goes from just the friendship and it goes to, man, I understand who you are, and I, I understand faults and all of those things, and it goes deeper than that. There is something that I want to commit to within who you are. And this also is not a cheesy, cheesy movie, okay? I would say it this way. I've heard it described like this. This is the type of love that you've gone past friendship, and you're maybe, maybe you're engaged, like you're saying, I'm going to marry this person, but you got into a little bit of a dispute, and you're hiding behind a couch because she's throwing stuff at you, and you go, I'm still committed. Like, this is that level. It's like, it's not the, like, you're skipping through rain and everything like that. Like, I've never actually, we've never done that as a couple, I don't think so. Um, but this is one where you go, she's trying to kill me. I love her. <laughs> like, I'm hiding because I'm smart, but I love her. Like, that's the next stage within this. And then in Hebrew, they have a word called dod. Dod is a physical, it means to 
cuddle um, and to fondle. And that's where this progression takes place. Hey, there's this love of friendship and there's a love of commitment and then there's a marriage and God institutes this and he gives this amazing gift of sex. And no one really argued that anything outside of that was wrong, but Jesus, again, he takes it a little bit further and says, hey, if you are looking at someone with a lustful intent, you've, you've already committed that. Now, are the ramifications of thinking and doing the same? No, we understand that. It's not what he's getting at. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, this is a heart issue. This is an issue of how you are thinking about another person. This is an issue of the heart. And this kind of goes back, if you remember when we really first started this series, the religious system of the day was, hey, just clean up your outside. If you can clean up the outside, then everyone thinks you're pretty and it's great. Well, you can clean up the outside. But inside, people were hurting. Inside, people were dying. And Jesus came and said, hey, I'm going to say this is a little deeper of an issue. And he says, hey, here's what we're going to do. It's not just you heard this said, but if you're looking at someone with a lustful intent, you've already done it. And he makes it a heart issue. He makes it a gospel issue. And here's what Jesus kind of does with that statement. The first thing is this. I believe that he just said, hey, the gospel requires more. The gospel requires more of our heart when it comes to anger. He addresses that right before this. The gospel requires more to being salt and light. It's not just a moral thing. It's, hey, I'm going to go out as a representative of Jesus Christ. The gospel takes us a step further in every area possible. And so when he talks about oaths that we take, when he talks about retaliation, when he talks about do to others as you would have them do to you, all these things, the gospel just takes it up to the next step and says, hey, more is required of a Christ follower, even when it comes to something like lust. So I think that he just said the gospel requires more in this area. There's also something else that I find very interesting that happens in this moment. He says, if I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her. I think also Jesus just said, hey, let's not objectify women. Like, I know there's a lot of talk in today's culture of, okay, when it comes to Christianity, is Christianity something that's oppressive in that way? And I think Jesus just said no. In fact, stop objectifying people and stop just pulling them down to a level of just physical attraction. Would I sleep with this person or not? And he's saying, I see value and worth in everyone. And so when I read this, I see Jesus saying, hey, you need to look at people and stop objectifying them based on whether it's their gender, based on the color of their skin, based on where they come from, what side of town they live on, what state they might be from. Okay, we can make fun of some of the states, but we understand Texas is the best. But that's neither here nor there. But he says, stop objectifying people. Because Jesus didn't objectify. That's why you see when there's a moment Jesus looks out on a crowd. He looks out on this crowd and he sees men and he sees women. He sees people of one culture, he sees people of another culture. He sees people of one culture that don't like this other culture. He sees people deep inside their own soul. And so he sees somebody that's struggling with anger in a very bad way. And he sees someone that's struggling with lust. And he sees someone that's struggling with identity. And he sees all of this. And what does it say? He had compassion on them. Jesus is not about objectifying. Because Jesus knew the ultimate object was be him laying down his life so that you could have forgiveness of all of these different things. But Jesus kind of takes the gospel further and he starts to radically change a cultural aspect and say, hey, it's not about looking at someone and objectifying them. It's about seeing them through the eyes that I see them with. Then he makes a kind of random statement. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. 
If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Let me be clear, this is not a literal thing. Um, we say this, every, you, have to, you have to justify everything. I was making jokes with people this morning. I know we've got a number of people here that work out at Crunch Fitness. If, at least in the guy's bathroom, I know when you leave, the last rule that it says is make sure you're wearing clothes. They put that there because someone didn't do it. And so we have to make sure you give all the things. This is not to be taken literally because some people throughout the history of Christianity have. And here's why I don't think he means it literally. You'd still have another eye. You'd still have another hand. If you lost all that, you have your mind. And the mind can think up a number of things. And you'd have your heart, which the Bible says it's wicked and full of evil. Like, you would still have that ability to sin. If you lost everything, just within the, the craziness of your brain, you can come up with some weird stuff. So I don't think he means this from a physical standpoint. And some people over years have taken this very literally. Um, even early on, there was a church father named Origen who castrated himself over these verses. So I want to be clear, um, the stance of South Point Church is don't go home and do this. But what I do think it means is overcoming sin requires a total commitment. If you're going to overcome sin, when it comes to lust and things like that, those are, those are heavy because not only do you have your mind, you have hormones. You have your body, like all these different things working against this one. And it's going to take a total commitment to overcome. So how do you deal with lust? There's a couple things. One, run. If it comes to an issue, run. Because here's two really good examples, Joseph and David. Now, these are two giants in the Old Testament. These are two people that are unbelievable, so much to learn from them. David, a man after God's own heart. Joseph, a picture of who Jesus is going to be in so many areas of his life. Joseph is put in a situation where there's a young woman who's coming on to him. Now, here's what I know. Her husband was a very high official in Egypt, which meant he had a lot of power, which meant that his wife would have been very attractive. And she's coming on to a young man. We know how that normally works. He ran, fled, ended up being accused of things, like got out of hand. But in that moment, he said, hey, the proper thing for me to do, I'm going to run away from this. And then you have David man after God's own heart. This dude I'd want to hang out with. He killed a giant, and he wrote poetry. He's a pretty cool guy. But there's a day where he should be off at battle. He's wandering around on the palace, and he looks, and he sees a young woman bathing. It was a young woman who was actually one of his very close friends. That's what gets often overlooked in this story. Her husband's name was Uriah. It was one of his mighty men. This was a guy that he spent a lot of time with. They had seen some things together. And he sees his wife, he has her brought to the palace. He sleeps with her. He didn't run. In that moment, he needed to go, you know what? I don't need to be here. Like, I'm supposed to be the king. I'm supposed to be leading my armies right now. That's what he was supposed to be doing. He chose not to run. In that moment, you have a decision to make, and fleeing is not a bad thing. That's not retreating. That's being wise. Because sometimes those situations, look, it just doesn't take much, right? Like, I, I just warn everyone, be extremely careful when it comes to this situation. I remember there was one day years ago, I was uh, living in Fort Worth, and our house, we had a community pool one house down, which was great. And so one day, I had taken Logan, we're swimming, and usually when I go swimming, I don't wear any jewelry because my rings will come off, and I've, I've almost lost both of them in that way. And so I'm there with my son, having a great time, and I hear, hey, Dad in the red shirt. And I kind of turn around, I'm like, what in the world? 
Uh, and it's this lady, and she's not that far from me, and she has a football. And she's like, let's play. I wanted to say, ma'am, your kid's drowning, like, behind you. Like, that's what you need to be paying attention to right now. And the way she was looking, like, there was just no question. I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to play football with you. My wife will kill you <laughs> after she kills me. Like, I'm not even, not even getting into this. Like, I'm like, Logan, we're going to go swim over here. Bye-bye. Like, it was just one of those moments of, hey, don't even want to let this become even the slightest thing that could, could come there. And so there's times where you say, hey, my first instinct is I'm going to run. The other one plays into what we'll talk about in a second. If this is a big issue, and I would say, hey, you need to pursue a relationship in the right way, in God's way, move through those progressions, be married, and be committed to that marriage. That's how you avoid some lustful issues. You get into marriage and you fight for that and you say, this is going to be one of the most God-honoring things that we do. We are going to lead well in this area. And so when you do that, it looks like this. You're married in body, soul, and spirit. Now we know about our own physical selves, we have all of those. Like I have a body, I have a soul, I have a spirit. When it comes to marriage, it's this mingling of all of those. And so within marriage itself, you say, hey, from a body standpoint, hey, we're going to mingle together well. <laughs> like that's the side where it's, hey, we're going to enjoy this gift that God gave us. It's nothing we're going to be ashamed of. Um, we're just going to have a healthy sexual relationship when it comes to our marriage. And that's one that we dive into. And hey, there's a lot of good with that. Now, if that's all it's based off on, well, sometimes that, we know, man, fades a little bit. But this is an area where even within Scripture, it says, hey, you've got to guard that area. You read 1 Corinthians 7. It says, hey, don't deny yourselves except by mutual consent. This is one where you actively say, we're going to make this a part of our marriage, but then it goes beyond just the body and it goes to soul. When you get into a soul area, this is kind of the emotional and uh, the intellectual side where you go, hey, when you think back to what made you ahava someone, hey, what are some of our common interests? You don't have to have everything in common. That, that's just very rare. But those things where you go, hey, I enjoy this. We enjoy this type of music together. Let's go to concerts. We enjoy this type of movie. Let's go to that. We enjoy reading books. We enjoy talking about these things. These are the conversations we enjoy having. This is where it becomes kind of intellectual and emotional. And then you can share those. Now, what can be dangerous here is when it comes to soul sharing, this is that area where you do, you, you get a different level of intimacy going on. And it's one where it can be a time where, man, you're both having a rough day or something's going on. You feel like your spouse is being attacked and you come to guard and it becomes this really sweet, intimate moment in that area. Or if you're not careful when it comes to the soul side, it can be a battleground of egos. Because sometimes when we come into marriage, we come into it thinking this is what it's going to look like. Because we've watched a bunch of movies and, man, we're going to live happily ever after. And then you find yourselves in those days throwing things at each other, figuratively, hopefully. But, man, you have to go, I've got to adapt this because I thought marriage was going to look like this. And it, it doesn't. And you learn over time. And you grow in that relationship. And then there's a spirit side as well. And for believers, this is one of the most important areas because this is the area where it's, we can always agree. What's most important? God. God's glory. We want this marriage to glorify God. We want the way that we raise our children to glorify God. This becomes this sweet, sweet spot of, of I've used the illustration before, it's a triangle. You've got God at the top, you've got man and woman on the sides. And as you both grow towards God, you grow together. And so within marriage, when it comes to this, we live this out body, soul, and spirit. 
And in doing so, we fight back against lust. And this also plays into what he says next. In verse 31, it says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So let me explain really quickly what this kind of looked like in the context of Jesus' day. Remember, we're talking about something, a conversation, a teaching time that happened 2,000 years ago. Guess what? 2,000 years ago, people were still having marriage issues. Several hundred, if not like 1,000 years before that, when the verse about the certificate of divorce was written, people were still having issues. The reason issues will always exist and why there is not a perfect marriage is Genesis 3. Because in Genesis 3, after God comes into the garden, he's talking with Adam and Eve, and he begins to address their consequences for sin. And one of them, when it comes to Eve, he says, your desire is going to be for your husband. Now, within the Old Testament, that word desire only appears a couple of times. I think three, in fact. Um, One is in Song of Solomon. And it says, my desire is for my husband. And it's like this kind of idea that, I'm consuming you. Like, it's a, it's a deep, passionate love. We'll put it that way. Uh, I don't think that's what it means in Genesis 3. Because we made the joke, like, if, if that's the consequence for sin, man's, like, the fall of mankind is my spouse has this insatiable sexual desire for me, what a curse. Like, that just that doesn't come across as a bad thing. But in the very next chapter, in 4, God's talking with Cain. And says, hey, sin's crouching at your door and its desire is for you. So what it really means is, hey, there is just this natural headbutting that is going to happen when it says, hey, your desire is going to be for your husband. That, that means this. It's headbutting. And that's existed from page three. And it continues on to today. And so this is not anything new. Like we have not stumbled into, one, that we've got it figured out, or two, that we're getting a lot better in it. It's just reality. This has existed for a long time. Um, but then he says, hey, you've heard it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. In Moses' day, we also have to think of this. Women did not have the rights that they do today. They were very much viewed as property. The gospel changes a lot. And so what would happen was any time a man felt slighted in any way, he could divorce his wife. And it was becoming such a thing that Moses said, hey, I need you to bring a certificate of divorce. What that was was a written out letter explaining why. The reason that that was done was it was hoped that, hey, you will calm down. You will think a little bit. You'll maybe be gracious. And so a man would have to sit down and he'd have to pin this letter explaining why I'm wanting to do this. Well, as you write that, the hope was, yeah, we got into an argument, but, well, it's probably my fault. Yeah, this happened, but is it really that big of a deal? And what would happen is that was written out a number of times things could be forgiven. But then sometimes they couldn't. And so you would still submit that certificate. Well, by the time it had gotten to Jesus' day, it's an amazing thing. This had already become a legal battle. Like if you've ever kind of walked through that, and, and most of us, like I said, this hasn't, this area hasn't, you know, it's touched all of us. You know that this is one that becomes very much a legal thing in the year 2020. Well, in the year 20. And 30, it was very much the same. Because at this time, you had these kind of legal schools. There was one called the School of Shema. 
And that was kind of like the conservative side of things. And they said, when they read this, they said, hey, it's only, for, only permissible for divorce when it comes to immorality, someone cheating on someone within that relationship. And then you had the school of Hillel. They were the liberal side. And they said, no, that means any distress that was caused in a marriage. Literally, in writing, they put at times, if you burn dinner, you can be divorced. Um, most of us know, like, that's a really dumb grounds for being divorced, but this was an abuse that was already happening. There was already the abuse, the, the, the legalistic side already existed in Jesus' day that we look back now and go, well, that's not new. So you're telling me there was a conservative element and a liberal element? Yes, and it's been around for a long time. And this is the stuff they argued about. But they didn't argue about the biggest thing. They wanted to be right, but they were missing out on the picture that Jesus was trying to paint. So why is this such a big thing for him? Why does Jesus feel the need in the middle of a message to address marriage and divorce? It's because of the institute that God put in place that Jesus was going to then say, hey, I'm going to use this as an illustration of myself and my bride, the church. This is why this is such a big issue. And this is why we fight for marriage, not just in marriage. This is why we work towards it. This is why we will lay some things aside. This is why we'll have hard conversations because Jesus does that for his bride. Because the picture that Jesus paints here is, hey, marriage is important to me because it's a picture of us. Now I used this literally yesterday in a wedding that I got to officiate where I talk about, hey, one of my favorite pictures in scripture is the illustration of Christ and his bride. And it's the church, it's us. If you are in Christ, you are part of that. And as beautiful as your wedding day is, where everything seems to be perfect, and we do use the term bride, because everything seems to be as it should be, there will be a day when all goes back to as it should be. And Jesus is going to come for his bride. It's the church. So why do we fight for our marriages? Why do we work in them? Because Jesus is constantly doing that for us right now. It says that he is currently in heaven interceding for you. Think of that. He's loving his bride as we worship, interceding for us, laying out good works for us, continually forgiving, making that forgiveness possible. He does that for his bride, and that's why this is such a big thing. And this is why we work at marriages. This is why we look and say, hey, within body, soul, and spirit, how are we doing within that? How can we better those areas? Because ultimately, this is a picture of us and our groom, Christ, who loves us and intercedes every day. Let's pray. God, we love you, and I do love that picture. God, so many of us like, can think of that moment when somebody was walking down an aisle or, we were, or the person was walking the aisle. Just the excitement of seeing that face. And God, one day that's going to be us with you. God, I can't wait. Father, if there's anyone out there today that just doesn't know what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, and we said, look, the, the reality of Scripture is it, it shows that we are broken, that that sin separates us from you. The man you're loving. You sent your son, Jesus Christ. He laid down his life so that we could have forgiveness and we could spend that eternity with him in heaven forever in a perfect love. 
And so if there's someone here today, God, or if there's somebody watching online and they just don't know what that looks like, I, I pray right now they would just say, God, as best as I know how, I want to turn away from my life. I want to follow you through Jesus Christ. I'll put my faith in him. God, in that instant, someone made into a new creation. So if that's you today, we want to we celebrate that. We would encourage you to put that on a Connect card. Talk to one of our pastors. And God, I just want to lift up so many families right now. God, that you would strengthen marriages around here. They'd be a beautiful reflection of you. God, there'd be grace and mercy within them. And we'd be able to use that to point people towards you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.